of Islam Radio. Azabillah min ash-shaytanir rajeem bismillahir rahmanir rahim in the name of Allah the gracious the ever merciful assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh may peace and blessings of Allah be upon you today is monday the 20th of february 2023 the time is 703 am and we have a full house today in the studios today. The first that uh, a first for me certainly on on a on a breakfast show. So sounds like a um, um, very promising program. Um, something that uh, I would urge um, our listeners to stay tuned to. The the two, two uh, before I come to the introduction of my co-presenters, the two topics that we shall be talking about are. Uh, so the first one is about um, uh, memory decline and how to prevent memory decline and uh, the second one which we shall start around 8.30 a.m. is about um, allergies and uh, what do you do if you have an allergy it, while the cost of uh, living crisis um, goes on so how do you um, how do you maintain um, uh, a healthy diet or um, or even um, what is whatever it is that you need to take during the cost of living crisis so those are the two topics that um, uh, we shall be talking about today and uh, without further ado let me welcome my co-presenters so um, to my right is uh, is Mr. Nabil Ahmed assalamu alaikum peace and blessings of Allah be upon you it's an honor to be here today Excellent. Yeah, it's a, it's an honor to uh, to present with you. Yeah, it's the first first time that I'm presenting with you. Um, I know you're a pro, so no, yeah, no, I no. look forward to <laughs> uh, to our chat. And um, um, Imam Abashir Zafri, um, welcome to the show. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Jazakallah for the introduction. Awesome. Great to have you. And uh, my usual co-host, uh, Imam Usman Manan. Assalamualaikum. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you as well. So, yeah, we've got a full house with so three imams. I'm certainly outnumbered here, so I, you know, I better watch out for everything that I say today. Okay, so um, as is the norm, uh, we start off the, the show with um, uh, what's appearing in the newspapers um, in the morning. So the vast majority front pages uh, this morning lead with the news uh, of a body. Uh, that has been found in a river near Lancashire village where Nicola Bully vanished more than three weeks ago. Metro reports that the discovery by members of the public in the water near St. Michael's on wire raises questions for police over why officers did not find anything despite extensive searches of the river earlier. 
The eye notes the body was recovered by police from the River Wire, less than half a mile from where 45-year-old mum was last seen on 27 January. The paper adds that while formal identification is still ongoing, Lancashire police say Nicholas' family's family has been informed and our thoughts are with them at this most difficult time. The Daily Express's report includes the detail that the body was found tangled in reeds by a pair of walkers who reported the discovery to police. The paper also notes the location of the body was just downstream from where her phone was discovered abandoned on a beach after she disappeared. The Sun's front page carries a composite image of a smiling Miss Billy superimposed over a picture of a woman appearing to pointing out something on the edge of a river to an onlooking police officer under the headline, Nicola, it's heartbreak. Paper says her family are preparing themselves for the worst possible news. The Daily Mirror also features the same striking image of the grim find on the riverbank. In a similar lead to the sun, the paper carries the headline. Family's worst fear notes they faced an anxious wait on Sunday night to see if the body was Miss Bullies. But like many of the papers, the Mirror is at pains to emphasize the police's statement that the identification process is ongoing. After holding out, holding out uh, hope she may be found alive, Nicola Bully's partner has said he and her two daughters are incredibly heartbroken by the discovery, according to the Daily Mail. In a statement to Sky News reported by the paper, Paul Ansel says he has no words right now, only pain. The Telegraph is leading with the discovery, but the, uh, but the paper's front page also carries the news that Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has been forced to pause his plan for a new deal to resolve problems with Northern Ireland's post-Brexit trading arrangement after backlash from senatories and unionists. The paper specifically reports that senior DUP members are saying the deal won't fly if it means the European Court of Justice would still be the nation's ultimate arbiter on trade matters. The Times also features a story about the row, the, the row over Northern Ireland's protocol bill, but unlike the Telegraph, the paper reports that Mr. Shunak, Mrs. Sunak would be willing to press ahead with the deal if it didn't even get the support of DUP. The Times says Prime Minister is prepared to decide for himself if the deal works for Northern Ireland, describing his stance as a challenge to the right of the Conservative Party. Uh, and finally, speaking to the Financial Times, the President of Poland has called for NATO to offer Ukraine security guarantees after the end of the war with Russia. Andres Duda says the move would be vital to ensuring Ukrainian troops keep up their morale as it will give them the feeling that NATO stands with them. The paper also notes the statement comes ahead of a visit by US President Joe Biden to Poland to mark the first anniversary of the Russian invasion. So that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, was a quick roundup of the news appearing in the headlines today. We shall now take a quick break. And when we come back, we will continue with the discussion on what's appearing in the newspapers today and what is newsworthy this morning. So please do stay tuned. Hello. 
listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to this live edition of the Breakfast Show from Southland Studios of Voice of Islam. We are talking about the news headlines appearing in the newspapers today. A quick reminder of the two topics that we shall discuss today. So the first one is about preventing memory decline. We shall start discussion on that at around 7.30 a.m. And from 8.30 a.m. onwards, we shall be talking about um, the cost of living with an allergy in the current crisis. So how do you face up to something like that? So that will be discussed from 8.30 a.m. onwards. Please do join us in both of these discussions by calling us at 020-868-77878. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Right, so we are talking about... Um, uh, what's uh, appearing in the newspapers today. Um, uh, Imam Nabil, anything that caught your eye this morning? I think um, everyone's aware about the strikes that are happening nowadays. So um, right. today the strikes are being conducted by the health workers in England and Wales um, and they will be intensified over the coming weeks. Um, so on Monday, ambulance workers are walking out of the ambulance trust in Wales and seven of the ten ambulance trusts in England Two unions are involved, Unite and the GMB. Members of Unite will then continue the ambulance strikes in Wales on Tuesday and Wednesday. In Scotland, where all the health strikes are suspended, a new pay offer of 14% over two years is now on the table. The strike by Border Force officials at Dover, Calais, Dunkirk, uh, the Channel Tunnel terminal lasts until Monday morning. So I, I think they finished, or maybe around 8 a.m., though continue working um, is expected to end around 7 a.m. GMT um, and the whole home office has already warned travellers to expect um, disruption um, yeah so that's like a gist of um, the strikes that are happening sure okay excellent um, Imam Zafri anything that uh, you thought worth talking oh, about oh yeah I mean the SNP the Scottish National Party yeah. You know about that that Nicola Sturgeon, she's stepped down from being yeah. the leader. Right. So there's a lot of people there now who are trying to get into becoming the leaders for the party. Uh, apart from that, within the community, um, uh, yesterday, uh, a lot of the community in Britain were celebrating the Muslim Al Day. Uh, just a bit of a background to that. Yeah. Uh, we in the community believe that the promised messiah of course was the was the messiah for the latter days and he was divinely inspired by god almighty and he was revealed different things through revelation and one of the prophecies that he made was of a this majestic grandson who will come after him and uh, who right. will be the promised son so that prophecy was fulfilled in the form of uh, Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, who also was the sec second caliph of the community. So we believe that he was that fulfillment of the prophecy and as a mark of uh, appreciation and thankfulness to God Almighty, mm. we celebrate the prophecy being fulfilled. Right. And the prophecy was vouchsafed on the 20th of February 1886. Uh, so in line with that, uh, every year we celebrate the fulfillment of that prophecy by remembering how that prophecy was given to the Prophet Messiah. Mm. So yesterday, even in the Bet al Fatul Mosque, mm. which is located in <clears throat> Morden, there was a big <clears throat> gathering and <clears throat> more than 
more than 1,800 people had gathered to celebrate that. So there was a whole function in which there were different speeches uh, regarding the prophecy, uh, regarding Mirza Bashirudin Hamudim, may Allah be pleased with him, how his life uh, was and how he was a reflection of the prophecy that was given to the Prophet Messiah and how each and every letter of that prophecy was fulfilled Mm. through his being. So that's something that was happening in the community. Uh, which recently just happened, uh, you know, not even long ago, just yesterday. So that's something that was worth mentioning. Absolutely, it is. um, And an absolutely extraordinary gentleman, um, extraordinary person he was. Um, You know, just a couple of stats that stand out from the Friday sermon uh, of His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmed, the current head of the Ahmed Muslim community, in which he also talked about um, uh, the promised son, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmed. And uh, he mentioned that uh, he wrote um, over 70,000 or or his lectures have been transcribed into over 70,000 pages. And these are the ones that haven't been published yet. So these are the ones that will be coming soon. Apart from that, there is, I believe, 24 volumes of Hmm. his uh, lectures and his uh, books that he has written. Right. Uh, They have been compiled and published under the name of Anwarul Uloom which means that the radiance of knowledge, so those have been published. Uh, as you've mentioned, he was the epitome of knowledge in that time, uh, wrote so many books, delivered so many lectures, and his uh, caliphate uh, span across 52 years. Yeah. So that in itself is remarkable. Uh, he was elected at the tender age of 25 um, uh, years old, uh, and, you know, if you look at the world today, a 25-year-old is just stepping mm. into his, you know, life mm. in his prime. Uh, but Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmed, the second caliph, may Allah be pleased with him, he was given the responsibility of taking care of the whole community. Absolutely. At 25. And, and <clears throat> at 25-year-old, uh, becoming a caliph of the community... Uh, writing about 70,000 uh, or, or um, uh, giving lectures and books uh, worth about 70,000 pages uh, from, a, from a person who didn't finish his secondary education. Yeah. So that is the other remarkable. I mean, it had no formal education yeah. from, from a worldly standard. So, I mean, it was all divine. And, and you read his books. And, and I would encourage our listeners to go onto our website, www.alislam.org. And uh, download books by Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmed, and you will you, you will get an idea, perhaps a glimpse of what we're talking about here. What a special uh, individual he was! Absolutely, there's no doubt about that. Uh, and not only his uh, books, but if you look at his life, there's been biographies written about him. Hmm. This goes to show that how inspiring that individual was. Hmm who was able to take care of. And, you know, throughout his life, there were things that, you know, had changed the course of history. For example, the partition. How that was, uh, you know, a game changer in terms of... The partition of India and Pakistan. uh, India and Pakistan, yes. How that was a game changer in the scope of the world history. And how, what sort of role he played... Uh, in how bloody and, and troublesome it was of course. and how div- what a difficult time it was for everybody. Absolutely. And uh, uh, since he was the caliph, they oh. say that at that time, in fact, there's narrations in in our books and also the books of um, other individuals who did, do not belong to the community. They say that at that time, Qadian, which was the center of the community yeah. before the partition, 
was a safe haven for people. Yeah. Uh, Muslims are like uh, Muslims, Sikhs, Hindus are like they would come there, seek shelter. There was uh, you know regular food services, all being covered by the community. Yeah. And then the remarkable journey that was made from Qadian to Rabba, which is in present Pakistan, how he was the last one to leave. He made sure that every single individual who was there made it safe and sound to the other side of the border. Mm. So it's just a very inspiring story uh, amongst many of the stories that uh, you know are attributed to him. Absolutely. And one more um, actually stat that really stood out for me again from that Friday sermon was um, about the commentary, Tafsir uh, Sagi, the commentary of the Holy Quran that he wrote within a span of a few months. Yeah. Um, so he was able to dictate that commentary. And, and again, for our listeners, you know, this is a book which has 114 chapters, uh, 30 parts. Um, uh, I don't know the number of pages. Uh, uh, it varies from uh, copy to copy, but uh, it is about five, six hundred pages long. Five, six hundred pages long. Uh, uh, and obviously, um, this is a, uh, this is a divine book. And therefore, way deep meaning. And he was able to dictate commentary of the entire book uh, within within a span of um, uh, of a few months. So that alone is uh, you know is proof that he was blessed uh, through divine guidance and really was somebody was a man of God. Absolutely, uh, and uh, as you mentioned, the commentary of the Holy Quran. So there's the Fsida Sagir. Sagir, of course, means smaller. Hmm. So he he that's basically a translation of the Holy Quran. Uh, with that, he has given some footnotes with concerning some of the verses in the Holy Quran. So hmm. that's the first one. The second one is Tafsir uh, Kabir, which is the exegesis of the Holy Quran. It's a right. vast exegesis that covers a lot of topics, and that also is one of his. You know, I would say Magna Carta's. Of uh, his uh, Magnus works. Opus, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah Magnus yeah. Opus, sorry, yeah. uh, Magnus Opus. That was Magnus Carter. <laughs> yes, Magnus Opus of his uh, of his works, hmm. and he uh, in that has delivered so many beautiful points, points regarding the Holy Quran that were not unveiled before him. Yeah. So he has given new ways of explaining and commentating the Holy Quran. Uh, apart from that, his. Um, Academic uh, narrative was appreciated by many academias mm. in his time. There was a lecture that he delivered uh, regarding the time of uh, the second caliph of Islam, uh, third caliph of Islam, Hazrat Usman, mm. uh, may Allah be pleased with him, mm. and how in his time, how Islam shifted from <clears throat> this spiritual aspect to this political aspect and how people at that time were taking sides and what was done and how the the beginning of dissension in Islam absolutely yeah. and how the you know the the murder of or the martyrdom of uh, the, the third caliph took place and as a result how Islam then began this division within itself where there's different sects beginning to emerge and what were the core reasons behind all of this whether they were political and this um, this lecture that he delivered was the first of its kind mm. uh, people who and because, because this this part of history is very complicated yes 
So he presented it in a way that it was very easy to understand. And even today you can read the book, it has been published in English as well, yeah. The Beginning of Dissension, The Out of, of Dissension of uh, in Islam. Yeah. So that is a book that can be downloaded from the website. Yeah. Yeah. And you know anyone who's interested in Islamic history, it's a phenomenal book uh, for your collection. Absolutely. No, thank you very, very much for that, uh, uh, for bringing that up, um, Imam Murshid Zafri. Um, Anything else um, uh, from um, from you that you'd like to mention, Imam Anand? Um, yes, that was very inform- informative. Um, but uh, going to the other end of the world, there's another tragic um, incident um, along with you know the Turkey-Syria earthquake. Hmm. Maybe not as big uh, in scale. But in uh, Brazil, in the state of Sao Paulo, um, at least 36 people have been killed from heavy flooding and landslides. Uh, forcing some cities to cancel annual carnivals and celebrations. Mm. So there's a huge incidence over there as well. And they're expecting about over a lot of deaths, basically. Sure. Um, they've evacuated hundreds of people. State of emergency has been declared. So another tragic um, incident, natural disaster. Um, so yeah, remember those people in your prayers and uh, do donations. Hmm. Uh, again, a, a reminder to the Humanity First yes. website. Uh, they're they're promoting, uh, they're, they're gathering donations for uh, this Turkey Syria earthquake. Um, so just a reminder to people: if you have uh, whatever you have, whatever you can give. Um, sometimes people think I've given charity, and hmm. they they forget about it. But charity is something. It's a constant reminder. You should keep yeah. doing this, uh, how, however little it is. You should, so you, you can should. donate again. There's, there's no harm in that little one pounds, two pounds, five mm. pounds, whatever your capacity is. 100%. And uh, yes, it is, a, it is a huge tragedy again in Syria and Turkey. Um, at the moment, the, the numbers, um, the official numbers are you know, close to 50,000, 60,000. But they expect these numbers to double. So it's 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 really uh, you know um, an earthquake of biblical proportions. <coughs> This uh, it's it's one of the really really uh, unfortunate tragedies uh, that the world has probably ever seen. So um, yeah, please do donate uh, generously uh, to uh, to help those uh, those brothers and sisters in need over there. Uh, as well as um, you know, to our uh, brothers and sisters in uh, in Brazil, and you can go to uh, Humanity First uh, uh, www.humanityfirst.org, uh, and you can donate um, there as well. Uh, right. Let's uh, now take a quick break, and when we come back, we shall delve right into the first topic, which is about preventing memory decline. Um, the second topic that we shall discuss uh, starting at 8:30 a.m. today is about the cost of living, um, uh, the cost of living crisis, and living with allergies in the current crisis. So those are the two topics. The number to call is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam. We have a packed show. We've got a lot of guests. So please do stay tuned and uh, uh, become part of these discussions. We shall be back right after a quick break. Allah, 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 Allah,
of Islam Radio. He claimed to be that lost one, awaited by all major fates of the world. He claimed to be that Krishna that Hindus were waiting so long for. He claimed to be that Buddha about whose coming the previous Buddha had prophesied. He was that Jesus son of Mary, awaited by both Christians and Muslims alike. He said he was the great reformer predicted by Guru Baba Nanak as well as the second coming of Zoroaster. He said that his mission was to bring all mankind to the realization that there is a God. He sought to bring about revolutions inside people so that they would fulfill the rights of each other as well as fulfill the rights of God. Now, just who was he? He was the Messiah of mankind. Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Ghadian, and he was not a liar. Fourteen hundred years ago, the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of God be upon him, claimed that the promised Messiah of all faiths would appear to the east of Damascus. It is recorded in writing that around one hundred years ago, this Messiah, sitting in an unknown, undeveloped Indian village, which lay on the same latitude to the east of Damascus, no less, received the following revelation in the Arabic language, Bala Dimashq, meaning destruction in Damascus. He prophesied the first and second world wars, and he also predicted that a great war would start from here. It is no secret that the Syrian civil war is the biggest crisis of our time. A conservative estimate states that over half of a million people have been killed since the Syrian civil war started in 2011. However, the number is sure to be significantly higher. Similarly, it is estimated that 11 million Syrians have fled the country since the war began. The pre-war population has been estimated to be 22 million. With different factions on the ground, including American, Russian, and Syrian government troops, Syrian rebels, and ISIS, this has become an international arena of death, a de facto playground for world war. Although world war and the crisis in Syria are signs of his truthfulness, the promised Messiah abhorred bloodshed and violence and instead claimed that he had come to end religious wars. He said that he loved mankind with the same love that a mother loves her child, nay, even more so. What mother would not sacrifice her own peace and well-being for the sake of her child? So, one can only imagine how much the promised Messiah loved mankind. An expression of his love are his timeless words which he desired to be a means of salvation for those he loved, that is, all of humanity. It is a fire, but all those shall be saved from that fire who love God, the doer of wonders.
Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Uh, if you've just tuned in to the Voice of Islam, we are currently uh, on a live show, the breakfast show, and we are we've been discussing the news just before the break. So we're about to go into our first segment, and this first segment is a very interesting segment. We're talking about how to prevent memory decline, how to prevent memory loss in the later age, and. We've been looking at this article uh, that has been published regarding a Chinese study that has been going on for 10 years. And this study has shown that if you have a good diet and you have a good cognitive activity and you also regularly exercise, that can help slow down uh, memory decline. Uh, so in this segment, we will be speaking about this study. Uh, we will be speaking about the effects of a healthy lifestyle on our on our body and our health. And we will also take a look at the Islamic perspective on how one should maintain a healthy lifestyle and what Islam teaches about taking care of the mind, the soul and the body. So this study, uh, consisting of 10 years of Chinese adults uh, over 60 years, showed that a nutritious diet and a healthy lifestyle is linked to slowing down memory, which is quite remarkable, especially in this day and age when we see there's so many illnesses such as Alzheimer's, um, dementia. Uh, and this study has shown that if you have a good lifestyle, if you have a healthy lifestyle, if you take care of yourself, you can prevent that from happening. In fact, you can <coughs> even prevent memory loss. You know, we see often amongst our elderly that uh, they, towards as they progress into the uh, elder ages, they they begin to forget things. They become forgetful. Uh, you know, personal experience. As mm -hmm. my grandfather, who was getting older, he was forgetting a lot of things to the point where he was unaware of our names. You know, we had to constantly remind him. So this is something that they've looked at. Um, the BMJ released new research, uh, which showed that the benefits of a healthy lifestyle in those who are more prone to Alzheimer's disease, and those who have the gene APOE, uh, which is known to be the strongest indication risk for dementia and Alzheimer's, showed the decline of memory loss, especially when cutting down on alcohol. So there's a lot of things that, you know, when you mix, the, mix in the motion, causes a lot of problems. And if you take those things away, uh, then you are heading towards good memory. Thank you for that introduction. Let's go straight to our first guest um, of the show today, uh, Dr. Ranjana Babar, who is a PhD in nutrition and a registered uh, dietitian. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. A very warm welcome to The Breakfast Show. Thank you very much for a lovely introduction. And I'm very glad the invitation to this show. Um, I am very happy that with this platform my voice can reach many as I'm educator of 
eating and active lifestyle. Uh, as you've given right introduction, I am a registered dietitian and I've worked in this field of weight management. Right. Well, lovely to have you, uh, Dr. Anjana. Um, so, uh, we're talking here about good lifestyle changes to prevent memory decline. Uh, in your opinion, what could those uh, lifestyle, lifestyle choices um, be and uh, how could we improve the functionality of our brain? Um, yeah, as in your introduction, you rightly said about, you know, there is the role of age and genetics and that's something non-modifiable. However, what we can modify and it's in our hands is you know, what we are eating and the lifestyle we choose. The suddenly healthy lifestyle is definitely a cornerstone to maintain health. And when we talk about health, you know, we have to address all the dimensions of health, including physical well-being, mental health, social health. And here we are discussing more of the mental health, which is the cognitive or the brain function. Current UK guidelines, the government advised that in order to reduce our risk of developing dementia, which main characteristic of dementia is memory loss, is you know, to have a very healthy diet. Uh, when we talk about healthy diet, it's important to understand we are asking for choosing a variety of different foods in the right proportions, so looking at and eating from five different food groups, and looking at eating at least Five of five diets, five fruits and vegetables in a day, basing our meals on high fiber foods, having some very low fat, just alternatives. That is again very Sorry, Doctor Angela, you're you're breaking up a little bit. Um, uh, I, let us try and uh, and reconnect with you uh, because we're not able to uh, hear uh, hear you properly. Uh, let's see if we can get a better connection with uh, Dr. Anjana. Um, yeah, so let me throw it um, uh, to to you guys. Hey, so you know, healthy lifestyle changes is um, is what Dr. Anjana was uh, was recommending. I guess uh, very difficult to disagree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, as mentioned before, those life choices determine what the future is going to look like. So little things, little changes, have a detrimental effect on your health, your body, your mind, your soul. Uh, whether it's meditation, people who are suffering with anxiety, uh, depression, often are recommended to meditate. Um, that little change shows uh, you know, tremendous uh, and remarkable changes in their brain uh, chemistry, which causes to have a better, better mood. People who do not exercise, you know, people who, who have had uh, you know, long-term depression, or chronic depression, they are told that, you know, take a stroll outside in the park or go, go for exercise. And when they do begin doing that, they see that their mood has become better. Uh, you know, their dopamine levels have started to rise. Uh, so even without taking any sort of medication, their moods change. So, of course, it's those little changes uh, that if we make in our life, in our lifestyle, it has a big impact on the outcome of our day-to-day -day life. Our quality of life becomes better. Right. Uh, it's, is there any um, uh, any indication of any particular foods anybody has experience of uh, which which may help with uh, a I better think, memory? Yeah, I think this, this is not a big secret or a, or a 
you know, the um, rocket science. A healthy lifestyle is very simple. Mm. It's a balanced diet. Uh, you don't eat too much of anything. You don't eat too much at all. Yeah. You don't drink plenty of water. It's the basic things you hear every day. The problem is just, uh, you know, acting upon them. Right. And uh, so me personally, for example, I've, I've also always heard from people that I'm, I'm a fit person, I'm a healthy person, you know, a lean guy. But even I, like recently, because I have an injury, so I'm not doing any exercise. Hmm. For me, I'm feeling that pain coming. I'm feeling my joints are hurting, my neck is... And I'm, sure. I'm like a young, fit guy. Yes, you so are. So if you are... <laughs> you're not like you very much are. <laughs> uh, yeah, so if, if okay. you... if Even a, a young and fit person, if he stops doing those things, yeah. those basic things, exercise, eating healthy, even he will start feeling um, tired or pain sure. or start going that way. So for someone who is... a doing this for years and years for my age yeah absolutely. i can't imagine yeah. how would you feel correct absolutely uh let's uh try and reconnect with uh, dr ranjana and see if we're able to uh to get a better connection assalamu alaikum are you with us dr ranjana yes very much uh, excellent yes sorry for the interruption no no worries uh, loud and clear this time so uh, dr ranjana you're talking about a balanced diet and um, the question that i want to put uh, to you is are there any any particular diets again uh, i read somewhere that uh, coconut oil for example is very good for memories is there any uh, uh, any evidence towards that um when you talk about you know food you know it's the overall food and our balancing take that makes a difference and mm-hmm. you know there are no superfoods you know whether we're talking about you know weight reduction or brain function and there's currently no evidence that specific individual nutrients even if it is b vitamins omega 3 um from coming from the polyunsaturated fatty acids can reduce the risk of developing dementia so there is no evidence in terms of any specific food or nutrient in this respect okay excellent um mr nabil here um welcome to the show dr ranjana um my question to you is um what are like bad dietary habits that can sometimes unknowingly to a person affect our health in the long run and um, nowadays in the uk obesity is a major issue towards mm-hmm. especially the younger generation where they don't notice how much of junk food or energy drinks they intake um they might even take say one coke can a day but the detrimental effect that it has on the body um you know um how can you explain that to us yeah uh, thank you for the question definitely as you have said you know um rightly addressed the sugar consumption these are some of the key issues uh, in terms of dietary habits of overall uk population and when we talk about the dietary habits that are affecting our health uh, in long term which is obesity and related comorbidities what what we have to see in perspective of the national nutrition survey which is ndns that overall uk population is consuming a lot of sugar and lots of salt lots of saturated fat reduced um consumption of fruits and vegetables and vitamin d deficiency is evident in most age groups there's high consumption of red meat reduced consumption of oily food these are the key dietary issues that affect and overall you know alongside the sedentary lifestyle is the reason for uh, increasing epidemic of obesity and uh, th- this is something that we need to address 
In terms of obesity, you know, there is not, and right now, link of obesity and cardiovascular health is more recognized. Mm -hmm. But there is emerging research and evidence that suggests that there is a link between obesity and cognitive health. Uh, And there has been a recent study that published this year gained uh, from uh, Chinese population, which have looked at that people, those who are obese, they tend to have lower cognition um, and increased adiposity. And there is not, uh, the, the researchers haven't been able to, you know, pinpoint a clear mechanism, but there are lots of ways in which uh, increased adiposity affects our brain structure and brain volume, especially the regions that are important for learning and essential memory. So that's one emerging area, how the obesity is linked with the brain health, and that's what we need to address in form of, you know, eating healthier and having an active lifestyle, as, you know, one of the person mm-hmm. uh, has recently said, you know, exercise is something that we really need to look at to improve our brain function, to elevate our mood. And uh, there are different ways in which we can achieve a more active lifestyle is to cut down our sedentary lifestyle. That's really, really important to take an opportunity to see where we can increase more steps in our daily routine. That's one way. Again, as as per the current UK uh, government advice, you know, something, some other areas that we need to address is, you know, is stopping smoking and, you know, reducing the alcohol intake that also is... Uh, important for preventing something as um, risky as dementia. And uh, I would just say here, because one important habit that I would like to talk about, which I have done my research, my PhD research is in about the salt intake. My PhD research work was about reducing the salt intake in type 2 diabetes. But if we look at there is lots of emerging evidence now that relates excessive salt intake with the brain function. Mm-hmm. And especially when we look at the UK population, we are still assuming much, consuming much more than you know what is the normal and recommended intake. And in the study that I did, you know, to my surprise, uh, only 2% of the participants knew what is the recommended intake. So I think that's the area we also need to improve the awareness about the sources of salt, how much is you know, too much, and, um, and how excessive salt can affect not only our overall health or cardiovascular health, mm-hmm. but also the vascular health related to the brain health. Yeah. Thank you. Very interesting. Just a last question. Um, do you think the any any specific cultural food has a, a better impact on the brain activity? Right, uh, as I already said, uh, you know I am a firm believer of you know having a balanced diet and choosing from variety. And currently, there is no evidence in terms of any specific food uh, that helps in the brain function. However, uh, when we talk about culturally specific food, you know, it is very important for us to recognize as healthcare professionals to translate the nutrition advice for healthy eating into more familiar foods that, you know, that kind of uh, forms the bias of diet of people from ethnic minority. So definitely when you're talking Mm -hmm. about having healthy fats, 
you know. Uh, maybe we are talking about avocado or maybe we're talking about, you know, pine nuts and stuff. But you can get the similar amounts and good parts, again, from the more commonly consumed nuts, which could be peanuts, you know, that goes in our the cuisine in the curries or uh, other nuts. And even like, you know, if it's rather than using olive oil, if we are using rapeseed or mustard oil, that would mm-hmm. also have you know, similar amount of good parts. So definitely translation of advice of healthy eating uh, with respect to more commonly consumed culturally specific diet is something that we need to take forward. Right. Thank you very, very much, uh, uh, Ms. Renjana, Dr. Ranjana Babar, for joining us today. Uh, very insightful. Enjoy talking to you. Thank you. A pleasure. Thank you, uh, Thank you very much you. for having me. Lovely. Have, Have a lovely day uh, and uh, the um, uh, and the week as well. So that was uh, Dr. Ranjana Babar, who is a PhD in nutrition uh, and a registered dietitian here in the UK, uh, giving us her expert take on uh, uh, what to do uh, to improve your uh, your cognition. Um, let me go straight to our second guest uh, of the show, which is Sarah Koh, who is a nutrition scientist at the British Nutrition Foundation. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. A very warm welcome to The Breakfast Show. Morning. Morning. Ms. Um, Koh, if I can start by asking you um, the question that I uh, put to our earlier guest as well. Are there any superfoods which can help um, us to... Um, uh, to improve our cognition and, and memory? So there are some foods that are claimed to be um, a superfood or a brain food um, or have these sort of brain-boosting qualities, uh, but there isn't really such a thing as uh, a brain food itself. Hmm. Um, what it's more helpful to think about is the balance of all the different foods um, across your diet to make sure that they... Um, provide the nutrients that have been linked to uh, normal brain function rather than focusing on, on specific foods individually. So this would include things like um, starchy carbohydrates for um, to, mm. to provide your brain with glucose for energy, which it needs constantly. Um, and you should go for whole grain or higher fiber varieties of those like brown rice um, or wholemeal bread. Um, things like oats as well, these will release the energy your brain needs more slowly into the bloodstream. Um, and other foods that you should try and include to um, provide you with all the nutrients you need are um, plenty of fruit and veg um, and choosing lots of uh, different varieties of those and um, include some protein sources, particularly um, oily fish, which is a good source of omega-3 fats, which are important for our brain function. Um, and also um, including some low-fat dairy foods or fortified alternatives of these. Um, and making sure you have that balance should um, help you get all the nutrients you need for, for your normal brain function. Would, uh, uh, would you give similar advice to somebody who has um, a, a genetic... Um, uh, a, a genetic... Um, prevalence of uh, dementia in in their family and are they uh, are in their early 40s or 50s would you w- what advice would you give them uh in in the in full view that you know this is something which uh which might be in their genes there are um lots of different factors that can 
influence um, risk of cognitive decline as we as we age. Um, some of these, like um, genetics that you mentioned, obviously we can't change. We can't do anything about that. So um, there's an element of um, some things out of our control. But then we know that there are some things that might influence risk that we can control. So things like um, our diet and other parts of our lifestyle. Um, and so that's where there's been um, a lot of attention in, in research looking at how um, changing the diet um, towards a more healthier um, dietary pattern might influence people's risk of um, developing cognitive decline or um, dementia uh, risk as, as they age. Um, hi, Sarah. It's Nabil here. Um, my question to you is, what are some good lifestyle choices that we can implement, um, you know, for our body and mind when we age, especially at a young age, in order to prevent um, such, you know, um, like um, Danielle was mentioning? Uh. Yeah, so um, I've talked a bit about diet already. So most people know that um, we should be eating a healthy diet and that that can um, give your body, all, it's important to giving your body all the nutrients it needs to stay healthy and um, avoid getting ill. But um, it's also important to have a healthy diet and get the nutrients you need for um, good mental health and for your overall well-being. Um, because when we don't eat enough nutrient-rich foods, your body may lack um, vital nutrients like vitamins and minerals um, and these could affect things like your energy levels um, as well as your mood and how your um, brain can um, function um, day to day so as well as diet we've got um, other factors to think about in our lifestyles so um, we should try to be active um, on a regular basis we should try to get enough good quality sleep um, avoid um, harmful alcohol intake or smoking um, as well as staying hydrated um, so aiming for six to eight glasses of fluid a day this is also um, really important for brain function because dehydration can can affect um, that as well so there's um, a few different things to think about to try and um, stay healthy for both um, our body and our mind mm -hmm. thank you thank you Emisco. Uh, I have a question uh, um, about uh, what foods you should be um, having in your daily diet. Uh, of course, you mentioned water and these uh, nuts and stuff. But what are the most, uh, you would say, underrated healthy foods which are not being used enough or which are the most overrated, which people assume are very healthy but not, don't really do much? So it's um, when we talk about um, a healthy diet, day to day this is going to look um, quite different for different people um, just because we we all have different lifestyles and um, we like different foods um, and that sort of thing so but there are some really the basic principles can be applied to everyone so um, within the different food groups you can find um, foods that you um, enjoy and like the most um, these include finding you know different fruit and vegetables that you like and aiming to get at least five a day. Um, it's really important to include fibre-rich foods in your diet and this is something um, that 
the average person is not eating enough fiber so it's very important to focus on including um, whole grains and high fiber foods um, like uh, brown rice and uh, oats and whole grain breakfast cereals um, there are lots of different fiber rich foods to choose from um, and with protein sources um, um, there are quite a few of these as well but perhaps could focus on increasing how much uh, beans and uh, peas and lentils so um, pulses that we include in our diet um, as well as other sources of protein and um, also dairy foods are important um, but if you um, you can choose fortified alternatives of those um, if you don't um, eat dairy foods um, and also choosing unsaturated uh, fats and oils when um, cooking food um, and uh, preparing food so that would include things like rapeseed oil or olive oil or um, any spreads made from those as well um, as well as um, another thing to, to remember is to try and minimize um, how many foods and drinks high in fat salt and sugars that um, we eat too um, and staying hydrated again um, I've mentioned it already but that's really important um, to not to forget about um, that part of a healthy diet as well. Awesome. Thank you very much, Sarako, for joining us this morning. Uh, thank you very much for making us wiser. Have a lovely day and the rest of the week. Thank you very much. Peace be with you. So that was uh, Sarako, who is a nutrition scientist uh, at the British Nutrition Foundation. And, and essentially, you know, the two uh, the two guests that we've had so far have talked about three things, you know, having a balanced diet with, with the right sort of nutrients, having an active lifestyle, exercising and avo avoiding obesity. And, you know, it just uh, it takes me back to the conversation that we were having earlier, uh, Imam Zafri, that, you know, this is exactly what Islam prescribes. You know, being active, um, not being fat, and having a balanced diet. Absolutely, uh, that's a, that's the thing that we were discussing. You're right. Uh, as we see that uh, from the very beginning, uh, we've been taught that the Holy Prophet peace be upon him said that uh, a believer who is strong and who is uh, not only strength, uh, strong in his faith, but strong physically, mm. is a better believer than one who is weak. Now, usually when this is presented, it's presented with regards to the physicality of a person. And uh, this goes to show that even in the sight of God, a person who is who takes care of his body is dearer. Because, again, we must remember that the body that we have given, we have been given is a gift from God Almighty. And it's essential that we take care of it. And this is the reason why when we open the Holy Quran, uh, we see that you know, there are a plethora of verses regarding the importance of taking care of one's physical body. Uh, you know, the balanced diet. In the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty states that, Kulu tusrifu, that eat and drink, but do not exceed limits. Allah, Allah, Allah the Almighty throughout the Holy Quran speaks about how he does not like those who exceed limits. Mm. Now that can not only mean spiritually, but also in the physical world, where we uh, take nutrition, where we take, uh, where we where we eat, where we do exercise, and we see that. Um, and this is one of the things that I was thinking about. Uh, I had the good uh, good fortune of traveling to Israel, mm. 
mm-hmm. uh, and seeing the holy sites where Jesus was born, where right. other prophets had been. And listening and hearing and reading about the different stories of the prophets, right. one thing I realize is that all of the prophets, they were very, very active and very strong physically as well. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason why I say that is that sure. looking at Jesus, for example, if you go to Syria, you see, oh, sorry, to Israel and uh, where he was, all of those places are hills and mountains. At that time, they had no motor cars. They were either walking or they had, uh, you know, um, other forms of transport yeah. such as animals. Mm. So if they were walking such yeah. hills, they had to be strong. Yeah. So this is one of the things that you see about God's prophets, that they were also physically very strong. Absolutely. Uh, thank you very much for that. And, and we'll, we'll come back to this uh, and discuss a little more about uh, the Islamic perspective on on this very important topic because dementia is uh, is on the rise in society. And uh, this is something that um, uh, that we need to focus on. So um, we are now coming up to uh, the news. So we will take a news break. Uh, but when we come back, we shall continue our discussion on what's the best diet, how to avoid uh, memory loss early in your life. وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَادْعُوهُ بِهَا يَا of the Day of Judgment. He is the Lord of all creation. The Master of the Day of Judgment is one who runs the affairs of the masses according to His will. Malik, Master, is one who has total possession of creation and has this possession without the help of any partnership and that this is not applicable to anyone but Allah. Unlike a Malik, king, from whom one seeks everything, the term Malik, master, denotes that God is responsible for everything, including food, reward, and punishment. The rule of God is not like any kingship of this world, Rather, it has total ownership and control. God has expounded the good and the bad deeds to us and has given us free will in this world and has told us that He has the right to punish and that the decision to punish or forgive is with Him. The promised Messiah, on whom be peace, said, that the attribute of Master of the Day of Judgment demands that we turn to Him with extreme and utmost humility, sincerity, and meekness. Those who turn to Allah in the manner of a completely helpless and powerless person and do actually and genuinely believe in their utter incapacity as they submit, find beneficence, from this divine quality. Malik is a quality of deed that promotes and advocates a profusion of mercy and compassion. However, 
how can man imbibe this divine attribute on a human level? Adopting mastership means that man may do justice and may avoid evil. In this capacity, he also overlooks others' wrongs, either out of mercy, compassion, or forgiveness. These human qualities only come to the fore when one is in authority and possesses control over something. One's good moral qualities and courtesy only come into focus when one is given status. An awareness of the attribute of Malikiyat turns one heart tender with the awe of punishment and thus generates a true insight. having uh, the right uh, lifestyle, having um, some exercise uh, in your life as well. And and that would help you uh, not only becoming healthy, but also prevent memory decline uh, as well. Let's go to our last guest for this segment, um, which is Dr. Susan Mitchell. Dr. Mitchell is Head of Policy Prevention, Early de- Detection and Diagnostics at the Alzheimer's Research UK. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. A very warm welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Morning. So, Dr. Mitchell, um, can you, uh, in the first few minutes, maybe bring us up to, up to speed with what's happening um, in the field of Alzheimer's research? Because a lot is it seems to be changing, and and there uh, there was a talk uh, a few days ago, I think it was, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, about um, even a new drug which which might be able to treat Alzheimer's. Yeah, it's a really exciting time for the field. After quite a few years of quite limited research investment, we're actually seeing some of the fruits of recent investment in research, both in this country and globally. Obviously, understanding what's happening in your brain, which is where um, the diseases that cause dementia actually affect you. Um, it's actually really hard to do, so it's quite difficult research, but it's great to see progress. As you said, a couple of key highlights. We have got the first possible drug that might change progression of disease. Um, that's really important. And we're also seeing more research understanding how we can reduce our risk of developing dementia. 
What I will just say is dementia is an umbrella term for a whole range of diseases. Alzheimer's is one of them. There's also things like vascular dementia, dementia with Lewy bodies, and a whole range of rarer forms of the disease. They all affect your brain in slightly different ways, which obviously means that a new drug, for example, that we might be seeing in the next year or so will specifically target Alzheimer's disease. Thank you. Thank you, Doctor. Uh, for the benefit of our listeners, if you could uh, just mention, mention briefly the, the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's. Yeah, as I mentioned, dementia is an umbrella term which talks about a range of symptoms, things like memory loss or problems with language or problems with decision making. Within that, there are a range of different diseases. So it's a bit like when we talk about cancer, we know there are different types of cancer. Mm -hmm. With dementia, there are different diseases. Alzheimer's is the most common one. Which um, So in the UK, we know there are probably about 950,000 people living with dementia. And about 70% of those people have Alzheimer's disease. As I said, there are rare reforms as well. And we saw last week that Bruce Willis, the film star, um, family, um, the um, shared the news that he has been diagnosed with one of the rare forms of dementia called frontotemporal dementia. So it's a real range, and as I said, different diseases affect different parts of your brain, and therefore you can see different symptoms. Thank you for your insight. Um, uh, my question to you, Dr. Mitchell, is what, what are the major risk factors associated with Alzheimer's? Yeah, so there's a couple of things going on here. So um, generally we see um, Alzheimer's and dementia forming in later life. So getting older does increase your risk, but it's really important to stress that dementia isn't an inevitable part of getting older. They are physical diseases that affect your brain. So everyone has a little bit of memory loss or a little bit of challenges with remembering things. That's normal. Dementia is more significant than that. So you've got ageing. We do see a difference between genders. So we see more women um, developing dementia than men. We're not quite sure what that's about. We do know that women live longer, so when you've got more women living longer, um, that, that does combine. Uh, but there might be other factors going on as well. We know that the impact of hormonal changes, which do affect women more than men, may be influential. But the other thing is we do know that genetics is an area where we're learning more about. At the moment, there are a couple of genes we've recognised, but their, their impact isn't fully understood and is limited. And then finally, there are um, things you can do, as you've mentioned at the start of this, around the kind of health and lifestyle factors, which can help to reduce your risk of developing dementia. Thank you. Uh, hi, Dr. Mitchell. It's Mubash uh, Zafri um, speaking. Just got a quick one uh, for the benefit of our uh, listeners. Uh, what sort of early signs and indications are there for you to determine that a person might have the Alzheimer's disease? And usually at what age do they become more prominent and more visible to the onlooker? Yeah, so as I said, so dementia is the umbrella term and Alzheimer's one form. So for Alzheimer's, we generally find that most people will develop that in later life, so in their 70s and 80s. There are a smaller number of people who will develop it perhaps in their 50s and 60s, Sometimes, and that's known as young onset dementia. Right. Sometimes that's because they've got particular genetic conditions, but that's very, very rare. What we then find is that there are some of the rarer forms of dementia, such as frontotemporal dementia, which has affected Bruce Willis last week. That also happens to people in their 50s and 60s. Right. In terms of signs and symptoms, Alzheimer's is predominantly, you often see this problems with memory, forgetting names, forgetting um, struggling to follow the, a storyline in a program or a book, problems remembering where you are or how to navigate, even things like the difficulty in making yourself a hot drink. 
Some of the other forms, the rarer forms, sometimes there's changes in your language. You may see changes in your mood and your emotions. And obviously, those symptoms can be common with other health conditions, so it can make it a bit more difficult to diagnose. But that's where, if you've got worries about uh, behaviours, memory, uh, language, going to someone like your GP is a really good first start. Right. Um, and also, uh, I mean, if, if you have a loved one who is um, suffering with uh, dementia as the umbrella term, or if they've got specifically Alzheimer's disease, uh, what sort of things can the family members do to help uh, such a person? Uh, and what sort of things should um, people look out for when dealing with, uh, with such patients? Yeah, obviously, you know, it does depend on uh, everyone with, de- with dementia, with Alzheimer's others, has a very unique experience. You know, one person with dementia is one person with dementia. So everyone's journey is different. Obviously, making sure you've got a diagnosis so you, you know what, what the health condition is is really important. Right. And obviously, for family members, you can be um, recognised as a carer, which gets you more support. So all of those are really important things to do. Obviously, we'll, I mean, I can talk a bit more in a minute about the risk factors which you can modify to improve your risk. Even for someone who is in the early stages of dementia, trying to encourage them to do some of these is obviously really positive. Obviously, um, you should be having a regular check-in with your GP and perhaps a, um, a memory assessment service. There are drugs that can be offered, particularly in the earlier stages of Alzheimer's. They don't change the, the progression of the disease, but they will help with some of the symptoms. And some people have found them really positive. Um, I think it's also important to have conversations about the future, about what matters to the person who's living with dementia, um, thinking about what support and care you might need. Um, I think looking after all of yourselves and making sure you've got support is really, really important. And I think it's also just really important to say, and as, as a biomedical research charity, if you have got dementia or you're living with someone affected by dementia, there may be opportunities for them to be involved in research, which might give you extra support, um, might feel like a really positive thing. So, you know, it's worth talking to your health professional about that if that's also something. Right. Excellent. Uh, what... Uh, uh, what sort of advice would you would you give, um, um, or, or um, in terms of this new drug? Um, how promising is this is this new drug? Yeah, so the, this new drug is called lecanemab. Yeah, not that easy to say, and it particularly targets one of the proteins that build up in the brain. Um, if you've got Alzheimer's, it's a protein called amyloid, and it helps to remove that. This is the first drug which looks like it's good at doing this. So that's really exciting news. At the moment, it has been approved um, for use in the United States, but it hasn't been approved anywhere else. It is being reviewed by the various regulators around um, the world in various places. Um, It is really exciting in that it's the first one that will do this. But we do know it will have modest benefits, but I think it's the start of the process. And so there's two bits. A, this drug will only, you know, it's not available here in the UK yet. It has to be checked by our regulator to make sure they feel it's safe and effective. Um, It will only be suitable for people really at the early stages of Alzheimer's disease. So there'll be a window of opportunity. But I think what we will see is this is the start of new focus on investment and research and new treatments. And while promising, it's a step forward. But I would say, as I said, it's not available potentially, it's not been approved yet. But there are lots of other things people can do to reduce their risk of developing dementia, even now. And I think it's really important to remember that this is a part of the overall story of what we can do. 
Thank you very much. Um, uh, yeah, so just just you, you you did mention at the end that you, there's positive changes people can do. If you could uh, give some examples. Um, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, so what we know is, and there's, again, there's lots, of, we're understanding more and more about our brain and our risk of developing dementia. So this is what we know at the moment, and it may change, and we find, may find out even more in future. But there are lots of things you can do to look after your, we call it our brain health. And there's kind mm-hmm. of three broad bits. One is, What's good for your heart is good for your head. So those things we know about exercise, perhaps not smoking, um, eating a healthy, balanced diet, low or no alcohol, are all really good steps for your heart health, but they're also really good for your brain. Mm -hmm. If you've got diabetes or you've got raised blood pressure, looking after both of those are also really good for your brain and your dementia risk. Then there are also other things you can do around what we call um, staying sharp. So this is keeping your brain active. So learning new things, whether that's, um, you know, learning a language, an instrument, doing crosswords, different ways to keep your brain busy. We're not quite sure what's the best thing to do, but so we're generally saying try and get a variety of things in, but also do what you enjoy so you'll keep doing it. Um, and then um, an important part of uh, is also about, um, we call it staying connected. So actually interacting with people, making sure you're meeting up with people, talking to people, whether that's on the phone or face-to-face is really important. And we also know that hearing loss is actually a risk factor for dementia. So if you're worried about your hearing, there are various online, you can, you can go to your a GP or you can go to places like Bexley that have hearing, hearing centres. Um, you can get a hearing check or there are online sort of free checks where you can just work out if you might have some kind of hearing challenge and if you have go and find out more and you might if you need hearing aids then actually use them because we do know they help to reduce your dementia risk mm-hmm. what i'd also say is um alzheimer's research uk recently launched something called our think brain health check-in this is an online um, resource which you can fill in it's a series of short questions takes only 10 minutes And it will give you a bit of feedback about what you're doing really well in your life for your brain health, but also where you could make some small steps with some suggestions. Um, It's really there to give people more information and to kind of empower people to kind of want to take control of how they can improve their brain health. So it's worth going to find that out if possible. Any um, advice for me, uh, Dr. Mitchell? I I sometimes forget what I did yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what I would say... Or or what I had for breakfast. Uh, well, two bits. I wouldn't worry. I mean, we all we all have moments when we forget things, and, and that does happen. But as I said, um, the symptoms of dementia are more significant. As people, I'm sure there'll be people listening now who have a loved one or know someone who's developed dementia. It, the impact can be significant. What I would say is your brain health is important throughout your life. It's never too early and it's never too late. And all of those small steps that we can make actually all build, build up to help both our brain health, but lots of other health conditions as well. And that's the kind of, you know, that's what can be really positive. So I would say go and find out about our Think Brain Health check-in tool and see what you can find out to improve your brain health. We shall do. Thank you very, very much for that. Uh, Dr. Mitchell, uh, really a pleasure to have you. This was really an education. Really appreciate your coming on to the show today. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a lovely day and peace be with you. So that was Dr. Susan Mitchell, who is the Head of Policy Prevention, Early Detection and Diagnostic at the Alzheimer's Research UK, giving us some really, really good, um, handy advice there. Um, Right. So we are now coming uh, towards the close of this segment. Uh, We've talked about uh, two or three things, really. We've talked about how important within Islam uh, uh, it is to have a balanced diet. We've talked about how important within Islam it is to have an active lifestyle. Um, 
Imam Nabil, you were talking about um, uh, before the the connection between body and mind, and uh, the connection that uh, Promise Messiah may peace and, uh, peace uh, be upon him uh, mentioned um, as well in one of his book in in one of his books. Do you want to uh, elaborate that? Yes. So the Promise Messiah mentioned in his book um, Philosophy Teaching of Islam, very interesting um, paragraph or a page to be honest. He says that experience shows that different types of food affect um, the mind and the intellect in different ways. So what example he gave was that after carefully observing that people who don't eat or consume meat at all um, gradually suffer a decline in bravery or they lose courage in some tasks they perform. Um, so, and then he balances it in terms of showing that herbivorous animals who don't possess the same degree of courage as... I think it gives the, the example of the lion. Lion um, and uh, a deer, uh, for example. Of, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so that, those animals who are not predatory animals, yeah. um, they have they don't have the same courage as a lion, for example. Right. So that shows it in nature already. So um, this same applies to birds as well, so like an eagle or, um, you know, those birds that don't consume meat. So it's proven in nature, in fact, that you know, um, morals are affected by food. You, you so you're what you eat. Yeah, you exactly. Say, That's why it is. Yeah. And this is something that we say, you know, it's like it's become a power phrase yeah. as, uh, you know, in society as well. And it's true, whatever you have has a big impact. And sometimes unconsciously as well. Mm. You eat and sometimes, you know, you feel happy. Mm. But sometimes, you you know, food does actually have so much effect on us. You know, mm. so many people out here go out to have food and that is a hit of dopamine. Mm. And if you go eat out or have a nice meal, you might not know the, sure. you know, the precautions of it afterwards. You know, it might not be good for you, you know, having dessert. Mm. Might not good for, it might not be so good for you. Mm. But at that moment, it releases dopamine in your brain and you feel happy. Yeah. So food has such a big impact of on course, our day-to-day yeah. -day life. Like this morning coffee had on me. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, one interesting thing is, mm. uh, sorry to be cutting you guys off, uh, is that... Uh, not only does, uh, you know, having specific amount of food uh, have impact on you, but also what you eat also has a big impact. And coming back to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him as well, hmm. we look and see that these people had very basic diets. Right. They weren't having uh, having stuff that was extravagant. Hmm. Uh, you know, having two or three dates in the morning, uh, using barley, um, drinking a lot of water, Things that we, you know, sometimes disregard because of how basic they are. But those things kept them fit and alive and healthy. Uh, and, you know, nowadays, uh, again, coming back to the point that they were eating seasonal stuff. Hmm. They were eating local produce. But nowadays, since everything's become a, a global village, mm. we have everything at our doorstep. Mm. Things that we don't find in in the summer uh, are available to us during summer. Mm. Things that aren't available during the winter mm. are still available to us mm. uh, during the winter. And um, just refer referencing some uh, people who are you know functioning, uh, who are who are who are practicing functional medicine so they speak about eating and your diet and how that has a big impact on us there's a uh, there's a there's a researcher his name is uh, Mark Human he says that um, 
and he's big on Instagram, you can find him. Right. He speaks about eating food and he says that coming back to Alzheimer's and dementia, mm-hmm. he says that research, re- recent research has shown that these in fact are types of diabetes and they have a strong correlation with sugar intake. Mm. And people who have, you know, big sugar intake, Excessive sugar, they, yeah. they result in, you know, he, he calls it type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the use of sugar and also he speaks about eating seasonal mm-hmm. local produce. And a lot of us, when we go out, you know, our avocados are coming from, you know, Mexico. Our mm-hmm. chickens coming from Netherlands. Our eggs are coming from elsewhere. So we, we're eating things that aren't even seasoned. So, of course, to break down the proteins and all of those things, you need the local atmosphere, the local culture, which, you know, the bacteria culture we need. But we unfortunately don't have that. And then also all those pesticides, uh, glyphosate, all of those things that are sprayed on our uh, food has a big, big impact, you know, which caused detrimental effects on our... Absolutely. Um, And, uh, you know, the other thing that uh, Dr. Mitchell mentioned, uh, which was about uh, cognitive activity and having some sort of cognitive activity, uh, is so important in preventing memory decline. And this uh, takes me back to the discussion uh, you and I are having uh, offline about, uh, you know, the early Islamic period where uh, memory was so important, where it was, you know, where they didn't have the tools to to write and most people couldn't read. So the the only um, way that they could actually store information was for them to to memorize it. And they used to memorize heaps and heaps of pages if they were put down in pages. Uh, They learned from a very young age their genealogy that would go back centuries and they would know their forefathers' names that would go back 9, 10, 11 generations. Mm. And they would learn it through, uh, you know, couplets. And they knew thousands of couplets, stories, uh, even to the traditions that we have in this day and age. The Quran that we have, of course, yeah. it had that divine protection and the promise that it would be divinely protected. But how was it initially vouchsafed to us? It was verbally transmitted yeah. from person to person. And they learnt... During the lifetime of the Holy Prophet, yeah. uh, but later the traditions and the narrations that we have of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, they also were passed on from a person to person, verbally transmitted uh, for a good 150 years. Uh, the first book, major book that we know, uh, Mota Imam Malik, his author, Imam Malik, he comes in the 80. 80 uh, AD, uh, sorry, Hijrah, so 80 years after the Hijrah, yeah. a good 60, 70 years after the demise of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And he's the first one to actually start writing down a, a compiled book, though yeah. some narrations were being written down even during the time of the Holy Prophet, be, be upon him. But a most you know, of them were, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Most of them were memorized. And these, compan- uh, these, these um, scholars, they went out. Uh, to search about them, and they paid a lot of attention on how, to the point, you know, such as Imam Bukhari, who is one of the greatest scholars of Hadith, his one of his um, uh, you know methods and criterias was that in the chain of the narrators, if there was anyone who had bad memory, mm. he would disregard that narration. So memory had a big, big, a big, impact. big yeah. impact and importance even in our Islamic literature. Yeah, and, and which is exactly what we're talking about in terms of cognitive activity these days. Um, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the other uh, 
issue that I would uh, uh, like to explore with you guys is about um, uh, not only having um, uh, the right um, uh, right infrastructure around you in terms of um, uh, of uh, of exercising, and you know we've talked about memory, uh, the the lifestyle that we have these days. For example, you know it. Um, I I don't know whether you guys, but I remember a time when I used to when I had to memorize a lot of phone numbers mm. just to be able to uh, to communicate with with different people. <clears throat> yeah. Not anymore. Yeah. I don't I don't remember. I don't know my daughter's number <laughs> because it's I mean it's just. Uh, because it's so convenient, you just of course, you, save you, you, it. You, exactly. You save it. You type uh, the name, and and there it is. And you don't. So uh, you know. I guess the these modern gadgets are also making us yeah, lazy They, they, they diminish our capacity of memorizing yeah. things, of course. But of course, you know, when you make something easier for the customer, of course, you're yeah. going to take away the hard work that they were putting in before. Yeah. So as you mentioned, learning things has now become easy. Now to the point, you don't even have to know maths. You can literally just type in your equations and it will give you the answer. Well, uh, and with chat GPT, yeah. you don't have to do any, anything, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Everything. I was, in fact, I was on it I yesterday. I wish we had that in high school. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much easier to write essays. I, I was yeah. on it yesterday. I mean, because, of course, the hype is there. So I wanted to see what it's all about. And it's so amazing. amazing. It is mind-boggling how, yeah. you know, one little thing can do so much. You guys probably heard necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. Yeah. I added something that the invention is the father of destruction. <laughs> <laughs> so it's because that invention it causes so much damage to your natural sure. human resources that it's something unfixable. That's it becomes right. unfixable. Yeah. It depends what, it, what the purpose is, though, isn't it? I yeah. mean, it gets all down to what the purpose is. Of course, uh, you know, the whole argument regarding suffering uh, mm. It's a big argument, you know, especially people who who don't believe in a supernatural or a superior being. Mm. They speak about if there is a God, then mm. why is there so much suffering? Mm. And Hazrat Khimsi Rabbi, the fourth caliph of the Muslim community, in his book uh, uh, Revelation and Rationality and Knowledge, he speaks about suffering. Yeah. And he says that if we did not have suffering and we didn't have modes of changing that, then life would be monotonous and we would have been destroyed a long time ago. And, and there would yeah. be no progress. There's been no progress. Mm. So therefore... No inventions. Yeah. So invention is actually a core process of our evolution. Without mm. it, we can't... We'll be monotonous. We'll, we'll be at a standstill point. Mm. So invention, of course, I mean, I don't completely disagree with Imam uh, <laughs> Anand and his... his, his um, what he had read but again the the fact that we need those things in our life to make our lives easier such as today we we're speaking about alzheimer's and mm. dementia if that research isn't there if if these drugs aren't being brought to light then there'll be many people who'd be suffering in silence and won't know what's happening with them so again it's 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 again they'll come to the same point there has to be that uh, balance, that balance yeah. in yeah, everything, absolutely. not just your balanced diet, but a balance mm, in you know human yeah. life. Yeah. So it all just goes down to that. One hundred percent, absolutely. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, that brings us to to the close of this segment, which was about preventing memory decline. A very quick break, and when we come back, we shall delve right into the second topic, which is about the cost of living crisis, and if you have an allergy, what to do, what to do during 
the current cost of living crisis. Please do stay tuned. You can also call us and join us in this discussion by calling us at 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. We shall be back right after a very quick break. Um, and some of the dairy-free milk 
because a lot of the um, supermarkets like Aldi and Lidl are actually doing plant-based milks now as well to help that. And also they, they can supply some um, dairy-free spreads um, and vegan spreads as well. And, and just sort of look around and shop around, really. Um, hi, Caroline. It's Nabeho. My question to you is, um, at the point of cost of living crisis, what support is there um, for the people with allergies? And what support is needed that should be provided for them? There's very little support out there at the moment. The um, gluten-free or people that were diagnosed with celiac used to be able to get prescriptions. Um, there is some um, areas that do provide prescriptions still for very basic products. But um, many areas, um, the, the areas within the GPs, etc., um, are cutting down on these type of prescriptions because of the, the sheer cost. Um, the cost of um, gluten-free foods via the chemist is a lot more expensive than if you buy it in the supermarket. Um, one of the things that um, I would sort of say really is, um, you know, talk to your family and make people aware that, you know, you need the support. Um, food banks have, do have some gluten-free products out there very limited um it's not easy to to get to them but they are sort of getting donations through from some of the gluten-free suppliers into their food banks etc and i think you know the, the more difficulty really is with those people with multiple allergies because they have to be so very careful and check the may contains on all the labeling um and those sort of people um yeah i have to take it carefully and, and really the cost is it can be phenomenal um and there's very little support out there so how do you, uh, how, how in your experience then are people with allergies coping under the current um, circumstances? I think they're struggling, um, oh. definitely struggling. I think, you know, especially if they've got children, allergies tend to go in families. So if the parents have an allergy, the children tend to have an allergy, not necessarily the same, but sometimes um, can be different. Um, and they're struggling. I think probably parents are going without to provide for their children as well. Right. Um, any any particular charities you know, which maybe if somebody is listening to to this show, who might be able to help? Um, get in contact. The, there's the um, Allergy UK. Right. Um, there's the Anaphylaxis um, UK, and there's also Celiac UK, um, and they're there to support their people with allergies or with celiac disease, etc. I mean, there's a report, there's a, a new magazine that's just been published called Free From Living. It's due out in March. Um, and they've done some research and 95% have to go to more market, the people they interview. 23% of them are saying it's very stressful to go shopping with costs spiraling and increasing. This is actually increasing their, their load. And they're having to go to more shops to do the purchasing. So they go to, you know, more than one shop, so maybe two or three shops, and they're sort of like shopping around to get the bargains to, to get the prices that are reduced. And that's, you know, increasing the amount of hours that they spend shopping. So 66% say that they spend between one to five hours longer to shop just because they have to go and check labels every time. They have to go to, you know, safe products, etc., and be able to find it. I think, you know, there's also, as we're aware, a bit of a supply chain issue for some foods, which means, again, that they're having to look around for a lot longer. Right. Excellent. Thank you very much, Caroline Benjamin, for joining us this morning. Very insightful. Um, have a lovely day. Peace be with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So that was Caroline Benjamin from Food Allergy Aware Limited. Imam Nabil, uh, we were talking earlier uh, about how difficult it is for people uh, living in the uh, in the current uh, circumstances. Cost of living has, has shot up massively. Um and and then if you have an allergy, then you have a double whammy.
what is Islam's solution to that? Um, and I, the thing that immediately comes to, one of the things that comes to mind immediately is the this whole institution of charity, the spirit of charity within Islam. You know, charity is, is one factor in Islam, um, but I think the fundament, fundamental factor in any true Muslim and a follower, Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, is serving humanity. Like we early spoke about the Turkey and Syria crisis, right. the earthquakes, humanity right. first was one of the forefront charities who um, where they sent their people in order to help out. Um, so, like I said, for any true Muslim, <coughs> the Holy Quran, which was revealed to the Islam's founder, the Holy Prophet Muhammad the true fundamental being of any Muslim is serving humanity. For example, in chapter 3, verse 111, Allah the Almighty has stated that a Muslim is he who enjoins what is good and forbids evil. Here the Quran explains that the true Muslims are people who promote goodness, stay away from evil and injustice, and encourage others to do good deeds as well. Only a person who has sincere love for human humankind and feels the anguish of God's creation can be caring and sympathetic in the same way the uh, which Quran desires. Such profound love for humanity is only possible when your heart is pure and free from malice and selfishness. So in the sense that even there's a hadith, wherever you wish for, a hadith is the saying of the Holy Prophet wherever you wish for your brother, wherever you wish for yourself, um, you should give to your brother. So ideally, if um, I wish Imam Mubashar Zafri, if I have a personal um, affectionate thing of mine, if Mubashar Zafri would, would want that, I would give it to him out of the love and the kindness. It's the same for my neighbours or anything. Um, I do believe I have a neighbour who has a child who's very allergic um, to gluten. Um, and I do believe they are struggling, in fact. So whenever I go shopping, for example, I'll buy something that they need and I'll just give it at their front door without even them knowing it's me. Um, so those small, small act of kindness is one of the you know fundamental things that a true Muslim should have. I remember an example from the history of Islam. The fourth caliph, um, um, Hazrat Ali, may Allah be pleased with him. Uh, it's an example of his that he had a he had a slave. He wasn't a slave; he was a servant. So he had a servant who was walking with him, and uh, he he went to buy some clothes. So he he went. He was looking at some clothes, very high quality, good good quality clothes, and he said, "Give me two of these pieces." And then somebody asked him, why, why are you going to do with two pieces? You only need one of this. He said, one is for me and one is for my servant. So an ex amazing example of a servant who is usually even nowadays regarded as something, you know, on the side, something low, something is there just for cleaning and serving you. But his example was excellent that he, sh he showed that he's on equal terms with me in everything. His job is different. Okay, he, he serves me or he serves my house and I, I do other things. My, our jobs are different in terms of uh, our level, our status, our uh, rank in society. We, we're the same. He deserves just as much as I deserve. So an amazing example of humility and uh, balance and uh, equality in Islam. And at that moment, he, he was one of uh, he was the leader of the Muslims. He was a leader of a country. He was kind of like a president. So for him to show this. Uh, act to show this example is exactly what we need to follow and we, when we follow this or as uh, Nabil mentioned his these little things you know looking out for your neighbors these are the things which will make the difference in this crisis because people a lot of people can't do anything I mean they will say we, we're struggling this and that, but nobody's going to help them because everyone is struggling 
So we need to help each other with the things we have. If, if I have money, I can help you with money. You have a car, you can help me with travel. Um, somebody has um, a garden, they can help you with some um, fruits and vegetables and stuff. So we need to work together in, in, in this crisis to help those who, who are less fortunate in, in other things. Absolutely. And one of the thing, key important points with regards to the Ahmadi Muslim community is that uh, the promised Messiah, Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadiyan, may Allah be, may Allah have mercy on him, may Allah be, be pleased with him mm. and peace be upon him. He mentioned that the two objectives of my being is that one is that I am able to reignite the relationship that once the man had once with God. Mm. And the second is to develop a bond of brotherhood between mankind. Mm. And that, in principle, is the teaching of Islam. There are two things. There is the huququllah, which are the rights that one has towards God. And mm. then there's huququllibad, which is the rights that an individual has mm. to the other, you know, the, to mankind. And if either of those two rights are not fulfilled, one cannot achieve or attain the higher ranks of faith. Mm. And this is the reason why the Prophet Messiah, peace be upon him, came is to develop those two, the understanding of those two rights and how to fulfill them. And therefore, charity, sometimes we overlook how important charity is within Islam. Uh, and from the very inception of Islam, this was one thing that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, you know, implemented from the first day. And so much importance was given, whether it was setting the slaves free, whether it was giving aid to the neighbours, whether it was giving aid to the poor, whether it was rationing food so that everyone could eat, whether it was uh, everyone sharing their meals during times of war so that no one could go uh, without food. Those little things ha have been implemented in Islamic society. And to this day, uh, charity is a key and essential point of Islam. Without it, the Holy Quran says that um, that you cannot attain the highest ranks of uh, goodness and righteousness mm. till you spend out of that which, you know, you love the most. Mm. And of course, in this day and age, money is so important. Medicine, again, you know, if you have something, why not share with someone else? If you see that, as uh, Imam Nabil mentioned, you know, his neighbours, their kid is suffering from some... Uh, glottonous disease and therefore he's doing that to help and of course that's a core principle of Islam and you know our community the Ahmadi Muslim community we are strong believers uh, in spreading that to the wider community uh, and if and I, I would like to share this with the listeners if there is anyone out there who is finding it difficult to get help for their allergies and they are finding it difficult to get some medication or have them seen by a professional, mm -hmm. then we do offer uh, homeopathy uh, and remedies in homeopathic uh, dispensaries. Uh, qualified people come from across the globe to seek advice from mm -hmm. these uh, homeopaths uh, and these um, the, the, the remedies that they give are completely free if, uh, you know, you, you tell them the sort of situation that you're going through. 
and anyone is welcome. Uh, and we have, um, I mean, per, on a personal level, I think homeopathy does wonders, mm. uh, and it shows signs from the very beginning that it's working. So if there and is there is a there, dispensary here, yes, right absolutely. in the in this mosque, Fatul Mosque uh, here in Morden as well. So if there is anyone out there mm. uh, struggling, you're more than welcome to come. Uh, we're mm. here to serve you. Uh, as the mm. motto is, love for all, hatred for none. So there's no. We also have a warm room here, so. Of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. And there's coffee as well. And if yeah. you want some lunch, there's always lunch available, uh, readily available. I would say. <clears throat> Just Absolutely. a short story on the homeopathy. Yeah. Uh, His Holiness, the fourth head of the Muslim community, um, Khalifa Rabi, hmm. uh, may Allah have mercy on him. He, uh, there's a story of him about regarding this homeopathy that a child, someone brought a child to him. Uh, whose whose tooth was pushed in because he felt his tooth was pushed in into his um, jaw, right. and uh, he gave him a medicine Naxomika, I believe, and the next day the tooth the tooth was back in his place. Really? So this is just like just a short mention that it does wonders, which like uh, Imam Zafri said, yeah. it really does do wonders. Yeah. But you need someone who has understanding of it. Yeah, he absolutely. understood that that specific medicine it is used for taking something out of your body sure. if you have a uh, um, um, it's it's very it has to be very specific to that, to that yeah. person. Yeah, if something is stuck in your body, yeah. you, you can't go to the toilet or something. That, that same medicine will help you uh, relieve. So that having knowledge of that medicine, that's of what uh, that's what you need. And we have those specialists, and like like you said, they, they're working free of charge uh, to help the community. So anyone who needs help should come here and will help them. For example, other. my young one, he's teething now. So anyone who's uh, who's had teething kids, they know that that's... There's a very good remedy yeah. in homeopathy for that. Some, <laughs> yeah. Something that absolutely yeah. I've tried. So, yeah. the, so we've been using yeah. chamomile 30 yeah. and it's working wonders. Honestly, yeah. it's like magic. You know, it does, he, he, it he, does work he, like magic, absolutely. Yeah. He doesn't, I mean, of course, it does... You know, it makes it easy. It makes, it makes it easier. I wouldn't say yeah, that absolutely. you know, it completely vanishes it. Of course not. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's not... It's not Makes it's it not magic to that extent, but but it does help makes quite it a fair markedly, Oh yeah, really easily. What's what, what what teething? Teething. So he's te- his teeth are coming coming out now. So he's oh, okay, teething okay. now. Right. Mm. Okay, Imam Manan, you you you're still very very young, as you say. <laughs> <laughs> Fit and young, and and yeah, obviously you will you will I think find you, I think you took their te- te- teething very very soon. Yes. Yeah, you will find out. <laughs> then you have to wake up at. Two in the morning, <laughs> look at a, a tent to a crying baby, then you'll know what do you think is. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I want to come back to um, this theme of uh, of charity that uh, Imam Zafri talk, uh, talked about. Uh, so, Imam Nabil, if I can uh, ask you, that the, the month of Ramadan is coming yeah. uh, and is approaching fast. And uh, during that month, especially, um, uh, Muslims are required, are, are um, encouraged to give more charity than than they normally do. There is a narration uh, of the Holy Prophet as well that he he you know during the last days of the month he his charity was akin to a, a strong gust of wind. Hmm. Uh, so, in 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 terms of that, your your thoughts on how how we can help people in the current crisis with the month of Ramadan approaching as well. Um, like you mentioned, already. The prime example of the Holy Prophet wasallam that his his I would say his humility and his um, his act of charity is it's beyond wonders. Um, I would say that not thinking about himself, 
thinking about others at the time of where, you know, um, especially in nowadays crisis, it's it's crazy. I would say for a person to give away half his wealth, more than half of his wealth, for the sake of serving humanity, yeah. it's um, it's it's mm. you know I would think five six times, um, you know, especially in a month of Ramadan where, you know, you're not eating, you know, you know, drinking or anything, and just thinking about serving your neighbor, serving your brothers, just for the sake of helping them out. Um, we know that there's blessings in that, especially in like serving humanity in itself is a form of worship. Um, you know, um, that pleases Allah. It also in pleases the, yourself. It pleases I yourself, definitely. Everyone, yeah. everyone is happy to yeah, help. Yeah, definitely, I don't, definitely. I, I, I never heard of anyone definitely. who helped someone and he regretted it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's true. I agree with that as well. Um, yeah, so in the month of Ramadan, as um, for our listeners there, um, we, we, um, we don't eat or drink um, from a, for a certain period of time during the day. And uh, during that time, is, um, it's, it's commanded to us to give a to give charity and uh, to serve humanity and serve it's, it's the sole purpose of worshipping Allah so one form of that worship is giving charity absolutely and you know, one of the reasons for Ramadan the thing is that uh, the reason why we fast the philosophy behind it is that when you fast and you abstain from eating and drinking you tend to think about those people who you know don't aren't as fortunate or do have some sort of uh, struggle in their life and are unable to have meals, right? So such people, when you th- when you go through a similar experience, you feel for such people, and as a result, not only do you th- give thanks to God Almighty for blessing you in various ways, but it also encourages you to go out and help such people who aren't doing this just for the sake of Allah, but that's their life. They don't eat and drink during the day because they. Mm. They don't have that, mm-hmm. and this is the reason why you know the Holy Prophet as you mentioned in in the same of these in the in the narration he says that Qalan Nabi Sallallahu that the Holy Prophet was the most generous person. Yeah. That when the Ramadan would come, he would become even more generous, and this was to show us. This was an example for us that look, give to charity in your normal days as well. But when you go through the similar experience where you're not eating and drinking and you feel the pain of people who, uh, you know, uh, are suffering from famine or suffering from uh, being unable to buy food, um, think about them and give in their way so that they can also be happy and eat something. And again, don't be extravagant. You know, nowadays the culture has become that. You know, at the end of the day, when there's iftar time, when the <laughs> when the, the, the when the fast will be opened, there's you know gatherings and extravagant food. And this wasn't the way of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him. Yeah. He said that keep it simple, and if you have that excess, then give it out to others. Yeah. So absolutely. this is the example that we should be following, especially uh, during um, <clears throat> iftar. Yeah, Instead of absolutely. eating with your family, invite your friends, your neighbors, join them, make mm-hmm. them happy. Invite your people who are not fortunate enough exactly. to have um, you know that kind of luxury. I would say, um, in terms of food, invite them and help them. Excellent. Thank you very much, uh, gentlemen, for that. Uh, we are coming uh, to the close uh, of this uh, segment as well as the show. Any closing remarks, Imam uh, Usman Manan? Uh, yes, there's some mentions of the promised Messiah. Um, first of all, he mentioned that serving humani- uh, humanity in itself is a form of worship, uh, which we discuss you know, m- many times on this show. But he mentions that my state 
is such that if someone is in distress whilst I am engaged in the obligatory prayers and I hear their grief, it is my ardent desire to break the prayer and try to help that person and to shower them with as much love as possible. And then he also said uh, on another occasion that to fail to help a brother in that time of need or difficulty is utterly immoral and wrong. These are some, uh, you know, basic things, but look at the emphasis the promised Messiah is putting on this, that yes. not helping someone in need is immoral, it's wrong, it's something, it's something against Islam. Mm. And then further he stated that if a person did not have the material means to help someone struggling or facing difficulties, they should uh, at the very least pray for them, uh, pray to Allah the Almighty to remove their problems. So he told that sincere prayer required, required a soft and pure heart and so Muslims had a duty to be sympathetic to the plight of uh, others and to consider their trials as though they were um, their own. There's also an, a, another thing he wrote in his book, um, uh, he mentioned that if, if the Hindus mm. at that time, if the Hindus stop cursing the Holy Prophet, we will go as far as stop eating the meat of cow. Uh, so he is willing to stop eating meat of the cow if if that would, you know, somehow benefit us, somehow create peace between us, and yeah. somehow help help each peace other. Society. So it's a very exactly. big step to take this. One hundred percent, absolutely. Thank you very much uh, for that. Uh, that brings us uh, towards the conclusion of the show today. Uh, thank you very much, uh, my co-presenters, Imam Nabil, Imam Mubashir Zafri, and Imam Usman Manan. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for all our, uh, to all our listeners. And I must thank our producer, Faiza Chima, our researchers, Faiza Mansoor, Mera Brahman, Ambed Kamal, and excellent help from the deck room. From let me Mr. let Tahir. me let me thank you today as well. Usually you thank everyone, <laughs> so thank you for your for the great show as well. well thank you, thank thank you for thanking me. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. We shall be back uh, next week. Until then, Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Majestic, the one who is above any evil.